you ever feel like you're dragging yourself through life? Like your life is a long list of chores? And even though there are things that you care about, duties to your family, or to school, or to work, or to God, they pile up and they begin to feel burdensome. My freshman year of college, I remember I was outside one spring day speaking to my good friend Bill, and I began to feel weary with all the papers. And I remember, maybe it struck you at one point, like, I graduate college and then I have to get a job. And I have to work for the rest of my life. And so I remember saying to Bill, Bill, I wish I could just leave it all behind. Like, what if we just, just got up and left? And he said, whoa, we could. And I said, no, but I have all these papers to write in basketball practice. And he said, nobody's keeping, here, keeping you here. We can go right now. We can get up and go. And I was like, no, Bill, but he said, no, really. Go pack your backpack. We're going. I said, all right, let's go. So we went, we packed our backpacks, and we went out to the highway and started to hitchhike. And before long, a trucker came by and picked us out up and, and took us out to the woods, and we found a place to camp for the night. Well, that night, it rained the whole night. So by the time morning came, I was pretty eager to get back to my papers and especially to the dining hall. Have you ever daydreamed about leaving behind all your responsibilities? just going. Well, Jesus shows us a better way. Because a life without commitments would be fun for a little while. But pretty soon, it would become a life without meaning. Well, rather than calling us away from our duties, he wants to turn our toil into joy, just like he turned water into wine. He said, I came that you might have life, and life in abundance. He wants to turn our water into wine, and good wine, the best wine. Psalm 104 says that God gives us wine to gladden our hearts. Wine's a sign of celebration. And Jesus makes 120 gallons of it. He wants an abundance of joy for your life. So what is it that transforms our ordinary duties of work, family, and faith into this new wine. It's his love. It's not an accident that this, for his first sign takes place at a wedding, which is a celebration of the highest form of human love. And you might have noticed that the bride and bridegroom hardly show up in the story, which suggests that Jesus is the true bridegroom, and he's come to unite himself to us. Last week, in the baptism of the Lord, we were taken aback by the Father's love for us, who directed to us the same words that he spoke to his son. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And tonight, he speaks to us in even more surprising language. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, For the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse as a young man marries a virgin your builder shall marry you and as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride so shall your god rejoice in you god compares himself to a young man full of passion 
and desire for his bride. And that's how he loves you. you know, we wouldn't dare use this language if he didn't use it first himself. And while his presence at the wedding expresses all the fresh passion of newlyweds, his love is deeper than a passing feeling. It's a love that commits him completely, even to the point of death. And we see that in his conversation with his mother. Mary says to him, asks him for a miracle, and he says to her, my hour has not yet come. In the Gospel of John, his hour always refers to his passion and death. And so what he's saying to her is, what I do here sets everything in motion. This miracle of love ends in my death. And that's how Christ loves us, with the fresh passion of a bridegroom and the commitment of one who's willing to lay down his life. And it's the experience of this love that transforms our drudgery into joy, our water into wine. It's true, isn't it, that when you're in love, it changes your experience of everything. St. Thomas Akempis says, love flies, runs, and leaps for joy. It's free and unrestrained. Love knows no limits, but ardently transcends all bounds. Love feels no burden, takes no account of toil, attempts things beyond its strength. Love sees nothing as impossible, for it feels able to achieve all things. Love, therefore, does great things. It is strange and effective, while he who lacks love faints and fails. This love is a gift from God. It's not something that we can manufacture any more than we can turn water into wine. But it's a gift that God wants to give us. And so the question for us becomes, how can I dispose myself to receive this gift? The first step, there are three steps. The first step is obedience. Obedience is the water that the Lord turns into wine. Notice what Mary tells the waiters. She says to them, do whatever he tells you. And they do. Even the water jars themselves symbolize obedience to the law. They were jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing, and Jesus tells them to fill them to the brim. So then he doesn't knock them over and spill the water out. No, he transforms the water into wine. He doesn't abolish the law or discard it. As he says in the Gospel of Matthew, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Because the law in and of itself is not burdensome. Rather, it's designed for our flourishing. And that's why it's almost a contradiction to ask God for joy without being willing to live as he designed us to live. It would be like asking him to send wind into our sails but being unwilling to lift our anchor up. Or, to speak more clearly, God can't give us the joy of a new life if we're unwilling to renounce serious sin. He could give us that cheap wine that would make us forget our sorrow for a moment. He could flood us with a feeling of euphoria. But that isn't happiness. True Christian joy springs up from within. And as long as we're determined to live in a self-destructive way, 
It's impossible for us. So the first step to receiving new wine is doing what he tells us and filling up our jars with water so that he can transform them into wine. The second step is to ask. Tell him, Lord, I'll do my part. I'll try my best to be obedient and to live as you teach. Although you know it's hard for me. But you turn it into wine, Lord. Pour your love into my heart. Give me a fresh experience of your love so I can run after you, Lord. Make me eager in doing good works, generous in serving you. That's the second step. It's short because it's simple. Just ask. And the third step is to enjoy it when he gives it to you. Fine wine isn't meant to be guzzled. It's meant to be savored. I think that there are, are some of you out there who are living a life of sincere obedience to the Lord. And he wants to give you that fresh wine, but you never stop to taste it. John tells us that the wedding feast happened on the third day. But if we count back from the beginning of the gospel when the account begins, you'll notice that he's already said, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, three times. And so we find ourselves here on the seventh day. And we can't help thinking of the account of creation from the very first chapters of Genesis that uses the very same structure, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And what happens on the seventh day? God rests from all his toil. He stops to enjoy creation. And so the Lord wants us to learn how to stop and enjoy his love. I think that there are some of you who, who have received an outpouring of God's love in your hearts, but you never taste it. You don't realize how near it is. So you work like slaves when you could run like lovers. Let me give you some examples. You go to pray, but as soon as you kneel down, you begin your list of petitions without ever stopping to enter into the Lord's presence, without a gesture or a word of love. It's right to business. Or another example, you stay up late cleaning your house because you know that the Lord was a servant and he calls you to follow his example. And yet you never offer your work up to him. You never take stock of how near he is, how he sees you and how he delights in your work as a, a bridegroom, his bride. Or you strive to resist a, a persistent temptation. And you never realize that far from being displeased with you in those moments, the Lord delights to see you fighting for him. His heart's aflame with love to see you fighting your way back to him. You have deeper springs of love in you than you know. You have recourse to more profound motivations. There's new wine in your cup. You need to stop and drink it. These then are the three steps that we can take for receiving the new wine, which is the joy of Christian life. First, obedience. Do your best to renounce serious sin and follow God's plan for your life. Of course, you won't be able to run after him until after you've experienced this love.
But you have to make a start. And it's his grace that will allow you to take that first step. Second, ask him to turn your water into wine. Ask him for a new effusion of love that makes you run and fly and leap for joy. And then finally, learn to enjoy his love. Refer all you do to him, the one who delights in you. I want to end with this quote from St. Francis de Sales, who exhorts us in the midst of all our occupations to lift up our hearts to God. He says, just as those who are full of some earthly natural love are ever turning in thought to the beloved one, their hearts overflowing with tenderness, and their lips ever ready to praise that beloved object, comforting themselves in absence by letters, carving the treasured name on every tree. So those who love God cannot cease thinking of him, and fain would they grave the holy name of Jesus in the hearts of every living creature they behold.